winter is coming. You're listening to the Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. I've also heard the phrase, a Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Watchers of Westeros, the podcast that delves into and analyzes the TV show Game of Thrones. And I mean, we, we've hit now a fantastic moment. We are talking about the finale of season six of Game of Thrones and what a finale it was up there with the very, very best that Game of Thrones has offered, in my humble opinion. Now, those of you who are just tuning in now are probably thinking to yourself, hang on a minute, this isn't the Canadian accent or voice of a Mr. Dominic Jones. And you'd be correct. It's instead the dulcet tones of the British man himself, Kieran Duggan. And you're going to have to deal with my British tones for the duration of this podcast. And maybe you'll be thankful to know that it's not going to be as long as some of the other podcasts as a result. But the reason why Dominic Jones isn't here with me right now is because of one main reason. And that main reason is that he is traveling. He's not just traveling anywhere, though. He's traveling around my home turf here in the United Kingdom. Um, he's recently been to Skellig Michael, I saw yesterday, uh, which for those of you who haven't yet seen Star Wars The Force Awakens, I would, of course, encourage you to watch that film. But one of the set locations in that film was based on Skellig Michael off the shores of Northern Ireland. And he's had a great time there, and he's going to be meeting up with me very, very shortly in in less than a week, actually, uh, at least less than a week by the time this podcast has been recorded. And we are going to do a special Watches of Westeros show then, where we're both going to be sitting in the same studio talking about Game of Thrones Um and it's going to be quite a surreal experience. But the good thing with that is it means that there's no time crunch at all. We're going to really sit down and deeply analyze the season finale, Watchers of Westeros. And in that, we are also going to be talking about the season six as a whole. We're going to, we're going to do a review of season six. And I think that's necessary because... It's been such a groundbreaking season and it really deserves all of the analysis that we are going to give it. Just before we actually start this podcast, I have received an audio clip from Dominic. So although he won't be with me in this particular show, he is going to give his initial impressions on the season six finale and perhaps give you a preview of what Dominic will be talking about on our next podcast next week. So, 
Dominic, take it away. Hello everyone, Dominic here. Just want to check in very quickly with my thoughts on the Game of Thrones finale, The Winds of Winter. Unfortunately, couldn't join Karen for the recording this week because I am traveling through Ireland. I'm currently on the train and you might be able to hear a conductor's announcement right now. Uh, apologies for all the background noise, but that's just how it goes. Um, like I said, traveling at the moment, going through Ireland, was just out at Skellig Michael where they shot The Force Awakens. Uh, tomorrow I'll be heading out into Northern Ireland where they've uh, shot some of Game of Thrones, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but uh, about the finale, I loved it. Like, what else can you say? It was fantastic. It was so different from Battle of the Bastards. It was so much... I was so lyrical. That's the that's the thing. It was you know, where Battle of the Bastards was this visceral experience. There was something very poetic and, and lyrical about the finale, and and I mean, and and that's not to say there wasn't death and destruction because there was arguably almost as much death and destruction in uh, in this finale. Um, I'm glad we got the uh, got the uh, the Jon Snow reveal. The or almost reveal. They didn't quite commit. They didn't tell us who his father was. They showed that his mother is Lyanna, but they didn't give us uh, that Rhaegar is his father. So I guess they're drawing out that reveal. Um, Arya killing Walder Frey was awesome. Cersei being crowned queen, amazing. And uh, uh, Tommen's death, wow. That was, a, that, was, that was almost the most shocking of them all, of just how they did it and how it, pulled out. it was pulled off. So... Overall, just a really, really strong episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week when I get to, to talk to Kieran and share my full thoughts on the episode with all of you. Uh, we've pulled into a station, so I'm sure there'll be lots and lots of background noise in just a moment. So uh, I'll throw it back to you, Kieran. Thank you, Dominic, for sharing your thoughts on the latest episode, or your initial impressions, I should say, of The Winds of Winter and I think I'm going to be echoing a couple of the sentiments that you actually raised as I begin with my own reaction to this episode. And I'll touch upon a couple of topics throughout the duration of this show. Um, but as you said, Dominic, there was some real shocks in this episode, which were in a way comparable to the Battle of the Bastards. Even though the Battle of the Bastards can be looked at as an action set piece, this was more of a political drama, but the ramifications of this were as groundbreaking in this episode as they were in the previous action set piece. I, I struggled to find any that really match it. I mean, the Red Wedding being close, but that was really one major event that happened in an episode. Every single story we went to was huge in its own way, and I don't think we can really get away from that. So for me, I think this is... You know, probably the most important episode to date. And we could say that about every recent episode that we watch on Game of Thrones, but I genuinely think it is. And there, there was no storyline that didn't have grand consequences. And we got a lot of stories answered. Um, you know, we're going to get onto the brand stuff a little bit later. But the main thing about this as well is that it's setting up a lot of drama that's going to take place in Season 7. So you can see why this ended up being the longest episode of the season, because there was so much they had to cover and so much they had to set up. And of course we know, or at least if you don't know, then I recently discovered along with Dominic that there isn't too long to go now, um, which is really sad to think about, but there's about two seasons left. 
And the concerning thing, I guess, for audiences is that those seasons are going to be cut down short as well. So it's not going to be 10 episodes a season. It's going to be six or seven. So we have to bear this in mind when we're looking at some of these storylines because there's no doubt about it, there's a time crunch and these constraints in terms of time are really going to impact on the level of of depth we go into some of these stories. And, you know, we're looking at certain characters possibly being killed off sooner rather than later. I think it, it does play a little bit of a part as to what happened, I think, in this episode, because there was, in my mind, an equivalent Red Wedding moment. Not necessarily shocking in terms of I didn't see it coming, but I think shocking in terms of the scale that we're looking at here. A lot of people were killed off in one moment. So let's just quickly have a, a brief overview of what happened in this episode and I'm just going to give my initial reactions to these particular scenes. I'm not going to go in much depth as I said, that's not the purpose of this podcast. We will do that, me and Dominic, next week. Um, but just to give you a kind of podcast to latch onto for a minute if, you, if you're looking to listen to some reactions about this um, and then we'll go in depth a bit more next week. So the main areas that we went to were King's Landing, we went to the Twins, we went to the Citadel, um, we went to Marine again for hopefully the last time. Um, uh, we went to Winterfell and we went to uh, where Bran is up beyond the wall. So let's start off with, I think, the, the main event, which is King's Landing. Now, a lot went down in King's Landing. And I think that was really summed up by the music that was used as well. And I thought the music was absolutely incredible. So um, I'm going to kind of play a little bit of the music whilst I am speaking in the background, just to perhaps give it a bit of ambiance. And I just really like this track, actually. It's, it's called The Light of the Seven. And uh, I really encourage everyone to check this out. It's a great, great soundtrack. Um, so I'm going to kind of play a little bit in the background. Um, so, the King's Landing story started off with the trial. That's That was the big, big story, or at least that's what we thought was going to be the big, big story. In a way it was, but it, it started off at the beginning of the episode, and it was very, very unique in its, in its intro, because there was no talking, there was just a lot of, you know, here, we've got here the chorus in the background, it was just music, and Visually, I and, and I think emotionally, it was very impactful because you got to look at every different character's perspective. You went from uh, Marjorie to Tommen to Cersei to the High Sparrow. And the way that D.B. Weiss, who is the executive producer of Game of Thrones, talked about it, the way he talked about it was this was um, an example of everyone just waking up, starting their normal day. It's just supposed to be an everyday uh, event in a well not the trial itself but you know you get up in the morning you get dressed you do x y and z um, and then you go and carry out your daily activities of course it wasn't going to end up that way and as the music here suggests it was a very sinister undertone to what was going to happen for Cersei this was her big gambit and it absolutely paid off in large part we'll come on to why it didn't fully or it wasn't a flawless plan in a second but for large part she used what many people predicted would be her weapon of choice and that was wildfire to burn down the sept of Baylor and 
the impact of this is incredible. Um, you know, if you look at it at a symbolic level, but also in terms of a material level, a lot of cast members have been <laughs> lost their jobs basically for Game of Thrones because their characters have all been killed off. So let's look at the death count here. We had the High Sparrow who was killed off. We had Marjorie Tyrell who was killed off. Loras is gone. Mace Tyrell is gone. Kevin Lannister's gone. Lancel Lannister's gone. Grand Maester Pycelle is also dead. You know, okay, Grand Maester Pycelle was killed in other means, but that's a huge, huge chunk of the cast that have just been wiped out by this one blow. Now, people may look at this and think, oh, you know, Marjorie, for example, I wanted her to live. We didn't really learn much about her character and what her plot was. Um, okay, we find out, again, this is pretty much confirmation in the episode, that her actions were contrived. You know, this, she put on an act, a facade, if you will. Um, she wasn't really devoted to this religion. Uh, I think the phrase she uttered was something like, I don't care about your bloody gods. Um, yeah, it's pretty much there, set in stone. It was alluded to in the seventh episode when she told Elena to leave King's Landing, that's her grandmother, um, and now she has, you know, her plot was really to get Loras out there. Um, it's a bit like what Loris did was an example of what the old system was in a way. Uh, when Tyrion was on trial in season four, you can recall that uh, Jamie Lannister made a bid or a negotiation with his father, Tywin Lannister, and said, let Tyrion take up the black. Um, and that's what he did. So, oh, that's, that's what he was going to do. So that's an example of kind of getting out of the trial is that you take up colors of another clan or, or you know, you, you serve a, a sentence, if you were, a bit like going to, um, I don't know, a camp or, 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 or doing um, community service, something akin to that. So you, you go do the Night's Watch, or in this case, you would devote yourself to the Seven. Um, of course, then the trial didn't happen for Cersei, but she got her comeuppance on a lot of people who had wronged her this season. Uh, her back was against the wall, Cersei, but she came out on top. In large part. The only thing that didn't happen though, uh, which which she really wanted, was the, for Tommen to survive. Tommen's gone. He killed himself, committed suicide, and that is the direct consequence of Cersei's actions. She neglected her son at the time he, he needed comfort most. Everyone he knew was gone. Um, his lover was gone. The person who he believed in, the High Sparrow, who was supposed to be some sort of mentor, gone. Um, you know, what, what has he got left now? And you do have to sit there and, and feel for this child in a way. Yes, okay, he looks a bit older than he is, but he's inexperienced. He's never really been a ruler. Um, and so this is going to have a massive, massive impact, of course, on his psyche, culminated in his death. So Cersei now, seeing Tommen die, I think a part of, of something in Cersei died as well. Um... I think the, the one thing that was holding her together in this world was her love for her children. Well, her children are gone now. The prophecy of season five at the beginning of season five came true. What has she got left? Oh, not too much. She's only got the Iron Throne left. And um, that's, that's going to be big. There's going to be big, big consequences on that front. And we'll get into that more when I'm here with Dominic. Um, and particularly Jamie Lannister's return. So let's go over now to the phrase. Um, 
Now that's that's a very interesting storyline in itself. So we go to the twins and we and we learn of the fact that of course the Freys have um, conquered with the help of the Lannisters, the River Run again, um, and it and it's been an absolute triumph in their minds. I mean, is it really a um, a triumph for the Freys or a triumph for the Lannisters? And I, and I think that was a good point that Jamie made in that scene when he said, what is the point of having you as allies if we're going to have to continuously come up north to your aid? Um, and I think it's something that kind of struck home. Um, you know, there was a kind of a, a dark irony to what was going on at, at, in this scene when he says the Freys and the Lannisters send their regards. Well, yep. Uh, I think the Starks really sent their regards in this particular episode. Um, and what a moment that was when Walder Frey was killed by Arya Stark. Oh, what a moment. Um, and, you know, that's another name off Arya's list. And, you know, Walder Frey was just an absolute slime ball. And I don't think anybody who's listening now is going to sit here and feel much sympathy for his character's demise. I think it was it was a long time coming. Um, and I think it was just made a little bit more obvious with the fact that um, he, he, he was put into the trailer of, of this next episode, The Winds of Winter. So we knew there was a reason that we were going to go back to Water Free in the season finale. Um, and so it, it wasn't necessarily the fact that he died that was shocking. I think it was more who was going to land the final blow and how it was all going to go down. And the fact that Arya did kill him was just poetic justice. Of course, Arya herself went to the Red Wedding, but um, you know, thanks to the Hound, in large part, she managed to evade the slaughter. Um, and just as well she did, because now she was able to pay off her debt to her family. She managed to avenge them. But you know, in terms of seeing Arya back in Westeros, I think that's quite an interesting turnaround now. So she's going to have to adjust to her new life in Westeros. She's not the same person she was when she left, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but also, what does this say about her character? Yes, she's killed off somebody who we all wanted to be dead. But is this going down a very dark path at the moment? And the, and the music as well in the background, I think it kind of summed up this uh, this very sinister undertone to what to what has become of her character. I don't know how her character is going to advance forward. I don't know where her next destination is going to be. Is she going to go back to Winterfell? Or is she going to go to King's Landing? Where, of course, she knows that... Uh, well, she will soon find out that Cersei is queen. Um, and wouldn't that be a twist if she managed to land a final blow on Cersei? Um, I have my doubts, though, that she will be the one to do, do it. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. This is what Game of Thrones is all about. But all I will say is now the phrase are gone. Um, and on a political level, what ramifications does, does this now mean for the twins? How is that going to operate? How is that going to run? Or does this really mean the end of, of whatever went on at the twins? But yeah, the twins is a very important stronghold. People should remember, of course, that um, uh, in order to get safe passage across the twins, um, Rob Stark during his war had to negotiate with Water Frey. Well, who's going to take the lead? The, both of the both of his sons have been killed as well. You know, served. Uh, <laughs> as, it, as it said in one of the feature areas, a, a dish best served cold. Um, so what does this now mean for that? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of questions that remain, unans remain unanswered. So let's go next to the Citadel, 
where we see Sam again. We didn't see him uh, for, for well, quite a while this season. The last time we saw him was when he took that Valyrian sword from his father's keep, uh, his, fa- his father, Rand- Randall Tarly. So what, what does this now mean for Sam? Where, where is his story going to go? Well, he wants to become a maester. Um, he, we're going to have to learn about this, this sort of arch maester character or the, the person at the Citadel who's, is, who's in charge. Um, that's been alluded to. But, you know, Sam now has got access to all of these resources, massive, massive book, books on show. It looked incredible. And many of you will recall that there was a kind of uh, the symbol that you see at the start of the Game of Thrones intro was used in this Citadel library. So surely that's going to ha- play into the significance of that library. What is Sam going to learn? How is he now going to manage the situation with uh, with his... With his wife or not quite wife um uh, but his but his wildling girlfriend whose name now has escaped me so yeah i'm gonna get um a lot of backlash for that uh gilly gilly that's her sorry uh so yeah well, how, how is it going to work with gilly and her and her son you know the maester said no women and children are allowed in this library so what is sam gonna have to do with that i think that personally prediction Randall Tarley's going to intervene and at some point try to kidnap um, Gilly and um, the baby in return for the Valyrian sword and probably the death of Samuel Tarley in his mind don't think it's going to happen but I think that that needs to happen for Sam to confront his former past ghosts so that's a citadel not too much happened there but just interesting to see that Sam's story is progressing along quite nicely now so let's go over to the north then um, Winterfell, very, very interesting what happened here. A lot went down last week, of course, in terms of the war, but now we're dealing with the consequences of a number of other storylines. And we started off in this story with Sir Davos and Melisandre and their confrontation in front of Jon. And can I just say, what a performance by Liam Cunningham. I mean, we talk about Emmys given to uh, Peter Dinklage, but my word, I, I, you know, I nearly teared up. Um, with what he was talking about, saying, you know, she was a little girl and she was like my own. I loved her, talking about the death of Shireen. And it, it was it was choking, really, to, to hear that because, you know, she wasn't innocent and she was a nice, nice child. And we all empathised with Sir Davos in that situation. And Melisandre didn't really have uh, a, a good excuse, to be honest. She, in a way, she tried to pass the buck on and blame Stannis as much as anything and say well Stannis went along with it as well but come on you can't sit there if you are um, you know Sir Davos listening to that and think well oh in that case you got a free pass because of course he did it in the not or in his perception with sorry in his perceived mindset um, of, of using his daughter's death as a way to save the war effort and it didn't work, it didn't pay off, and I'm glad that it didn't because I don't know what message that would really be sending to audiences. Um, but yeah, the p- whole plot fell apart. And um, so if Melisandre, she's now been banished, and if she returns, she's going to be killed apparently and executed. I think that's an interesting storyline that's going to come back up very, very soon. She's left, she's gone down south, so obviously we're going to return to her character at some point. But what does this now mean for Jon? You know, Melisandre, keeping her around was useful in terms of resurrecting him. Um, But as I think somebody made a good metaphor of saying, well, let's not make it like a game where every time you die, you start back at the beginning of the level. (laughs) You know, he hasn't got that safety net anymore, and I don't think he, he should have it. 
But interesting now, what does that mean for John in the future about his vulnerability now? And as for Sadavos, I feel that confrontation may well surface again if they need her. What, you know, will Davos be able to get past it? Um, I think he's going to struggle. Um, other things that happen in Winterfell, uh, notably we see Sansa and Littlefinger having a conversation. Um, so Sansa and Littlefinger having their conversation, I think that was quite an interesting moment as well. Because what did that suggest? Well, to me, um, it, it, it told us that Littlefinger wants the Iron Throne. No doubt about that. He makes it as clear cut um, as it ever could be. And he wants Sansa to be his wife. Well, are we going to see that come into fruition? It didn't really look like that in this scene. Sansa really pushed him aside. And I think it's interesting to see how the dynamics of that particular relationship have changed over time. At one point, Sansa was dependent on Littlefinger. She, you know, not necessarily revered him, but she, um, she respected him and trusted him. She doesn't trust him anymore. And does she need to trust him? She knows that she holds the power here because she is the key to the North in a way. But what we do see again is Littlefinger's playing the game. People said, oh, this looks like Littlefinger's run out of ideas. But he's just putting those thoughts in Sansa's mindset about the fact that Jon Snow is not the true heir of Winterfell. Sansa is. And with no male heir left, because Bran's not there, Rickon's dead, Rob's dead, technically Sansa holds the better legitimacy. But how's that going to go down? How is that going to play? I think this is going to go down setting a very dangerous precedent here. And I do see tension that was already sur that's already surfaced in this season between Sansa and Jon. I'm really seeing that intensifying next season. And the other thing we have now is Jon Snow being declared King of the North. Great news. I mean, Jon Snow, he has been through it all. Um, and now he has obviously omitted his... his um, you know, claim as as as, as the uh, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. So his vow has been broken. But has you know, again, can you argue it's really been broken when he was dead? And so technically, you know, I I stay my vow until I die. Well, he's died and he's been resurrected, so he doesn't have to stay stick to it. But what does this now mean for John? You know, he. I remember the last episode when Davos and um, Torment Giants main were there saying, "Well, you know, John Snow is no king." Well, now he is. And I have to say, the fact that this scene was very evocative of when Rob Stark was proclaimed King in the North in Season 1 is very, very concerning. I think it's a very foreboding moment, um, and I don't see this panning out all hunky-dory, so to speak. Um, we see the look that Sansa gives to Littlefinger at the end of the scene, recognising that even though she was the one, really, that saved the North uh, in their desperate hour, she's got no acknowledgement for it. Yeah, OK, she wasn't in the front lines, John was, but you know, what does this now mean for Sansa and the dynamics between her and John? Liam Cunningham mentioned it in one of the behind the scenes that he fears that's going to be a rivalry that kind of develops over next season. I'm a little bit concerned about it, but we, you know, with Littlefinger in the background of Sansa and the fact that John's got the support of everybody else, we have to wait and see what happens here. But uh, very interesting stuff in Winterfell. Next, we're going to go over to Bran and Bran now. Um, Benjamin Stark's abandoned them already. We saw him for about, what, five minutes, and now he's already gone. Um, but he can't pass this passageway because he's he's dead. Uh, but Bran and um, and uh, uh, Mira Reed, I think it is, they, they are now on a new journey looking to get to the wall and possibly to go to Winterfell. But we'll have to wait and see on that front. But Bran is now the Free-Eyed Raven, and we discover the truth. 
pretty much. I mean, it hasn't been officially, officially, officially confirmed, but I mean, it's 99% confirmed that R plus L equals J. Um, at the very least, we, we can guess that that child, uh, based on a nice little, um, uh, the, the, the way in which the, the scenes kind of uh, bisected each other. So you had one scene of the child and the baby, and then it transitioned into John um, Snow at Winterfell. So I think we can guess that the baby's John Snow. So if the baby's John Snow, then we can assume that Lyanna, who said if Rob finds out he'll, you know, he'll kill him, he, she must have got with either so, you know, somebody of importance. So we can all guess it's Rhaegar Targaryen because obviously there were Targaryen soldiers there. So, yeah, we can guess that this is R plus L equals J pretty much. So with that in mind, what does this now mean for Jon Snow? And I think this is where it's going to have a massive impact on what goes on politically in the North. Um, there's a number of things about this, though. How is this information going to be officially released? Because people have got to believe this. Yes, Bran knows this, but how can he tell people? You know, how are they going to believe him? Bran wasn't even alive then, so it's going to sound quite ludicrous. Um, and also, what does this mean in relation to Danny and what she's doing in the South? And I think that's the next point of call that we go to next as my final little segment, the Marine stuff, which now is pretty much done. We're leaving Marine! Yes! Um, don't get me wrong, the Marine stuff wasn't awful, but it was getting to the point now where we've been there for three seasons. We want to see Danny go to Westeros. But now Danny is going to Westeros, I think this means big, big things. As I said, not long to go in terms of the seasons, so it's about time that we're going to get this gigantic, climactic battle, which I think is going to take place at the end of Season 7, that's my prediction, the battle for the Iron Throne. Anyhow, we have Danny anointing Tyrion, uh, hand of the Queen, and we have her cutting ties with Dario. I think these are important moments in, in her character's evolution and the transformation of her to being a monarch. You know, somebody who was devoted and loved her, somebody who she laid with in bed, you know, he's gone. She's got rid of him because, um, based on partly the advice of Tyrion, but also I think within her own wisdom, she's aware that he's a liability and that um, Dario, for all his military prowess and skills, would be far more useful in Marine than he would do in Westeros. So Tyrion also is very important because he has the knowledge of the alliances in Westeros along with Varys, and I think those two will work on the political scene very, very effectively. So they're going to sail into Westeros. What happens next? Um... We don't know yet, but we can guess that based on another scene in this between Elena, the Sand Snakes, and Varys, that we have now an alliance between half of the Greyjoys, Danny, the Tyrells, and the Sand Snakes of Dawn against the Crown. How is this going to end? Not entirely sure yet. But we haven't got too many more villains left other than the White Walkers, which I think shows that the end game is near. We've got Cersei, who now is. You know, people are saying, Ramsay's gone. Who's the next villain? My goodness me. Cersei fits that bill perfectly now. She's killed off pretty much everyone. She has nothing in terms of uh, her, the love for her children, which was a redeeming quality of her. So, you know, part of her has died. Um, and she's going to be a formidable opponent now. And she doesn't care about anything other than power. What's her next move going to be? Not sure. I think, though, a vengeance path is going to be her storyline next. Secondly, um, Yoren, yes, he's a threat on a 
sort of level, but I mean, look at the armada that they have. How long is your, you know, I say what, if Joran has got a formidable force that can match this, my goodness me, he must have the best builders in Westeros by a long, long mile because he had no ships pretty much. Now, if he tries to match this, I can't see it, but we'll have to wait and see. And that's going to bring a conclusion to this show. What an episode. I, I really can't wait to properly dissect this. As you could guess, this episode, I'll give you a bit of a kind of sneak peek here. This episode, I have given a rating of 10 out of 10. A amazing season finale. And I look forward to discussing it with Dominic next week. So just to quickly finish on, those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I'm just going to list the ways in which you can get in touch. I'd love to hear your views on this episode. So you can tweet us at the Watchers of Westeros is our Twitter handle. Look us up and send us a tweet. You can also like us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash Watchers of Westeros. Please look for any updates and I'll be putting up a post very shortly and asking for people's opinions about this episode, The Winds of Winter, and Season 6 as a whole. Just gathering your opinions, what you really enjoyed about it, what you were expecting for Season 7. Um, so do check that out. And of course, do subscribe to us on iTunes, Watchers of Westeros. That's the name of the podcast. So for now, I'm going to bring this to an end um don't worry our watch is not over entirely uh we will be doing a number of episodes over the summer after next week but stay tuned for next week when we give a full discussion and we will uh let you know on what plans we have in store over the summer break we got some good ones do not fear for now though i'm going to end it here thank you all for tuning in and we will, well, you'll hear from me and Dominic very, very shortly. Um, goodbye. <laughs>